You know, I think that when you're looking for a metaphor for the siren of a new vampire, you should choose either parental or sexual. Not both. It's not okay. Spike's mom is seriously tweaked, y'all. Hi, and welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer YouTube series and podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about Lies My Parents Told Me, the 17th episode of season seven. Lies My Parents Told Me aired on March 25th, 2003, and was written by David Fury and Drew Goddard, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as executive story editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as story editor. This episode was directed by David Fury. This is Fury's second of two episodes he directs for Buffy. His first was season six's Gone. We are gearing up for the final showdown in Buffy season seven. Only six more episodes to go, and things are understandably heating up. I see season seven broken into phases, or acts. Act one is the first six episodes up through him, as the team is coming back together after fractures with Willow and Anya. Evil is afoot, but still kind of unknown. The second act, running from conversations with dead people through to last week's episode, Storyteller, gives us a greater understanding of what we're up against. We have the return of Giles, the addition of a small army of potentials, and the understanding of the first as an enemy unlike any we've faced before. And now we gear up for the third act, the ramping up of the conflict, the dark moment where all is lost, and the ultimate climax in our battle between good and evil. It's good stuff, and it's proof that a well-structured story can pull you through a lot of problems. All right, let's go on patrol. In Lies My Parents Told Me, we open with a flashback of a young Robin Wood watching as his mother spars with Spike, who takes off early to lengthen the joy of the chase. Nikki Wood tells young Robin that he'll have to stay with her watcher for a while. The mission is what matters, right? We smash cut to a fight in progress as Wood, Buffy, and Spike are taking out vampires in an alley. When Wood is overpowered, Spike stakes the vamp and tells Wood that the stake is his friend, and he shouldn't be afraid to use it. Just waiting for my moment. Giles returns from a trip with a magical doodad designed to determine the nature of Spike's trigger and hopefully deactivate it. In the process, Spike remembers sitting at his mother's knee as she sings Never Leave Me, the song that triggered him into killing. He vamps out and rages, accidentally hurting Dawn in the process. After Buffy unchains Spike and leads him upstairs, Wood pulls Giles aside and tells him that Spike killed his mother, and the two make a plan to get rid of Spike. As Giles takes Buffy out on patrol to impart wisdom and keep her distracted, Wood takes Spike to his decked-out workshop of Holy Cross Smackdown, and he plays the song that triggers Spike. I don't want to kill you, Spike. I want to kill the monster who took my mother away from me. As Spike and Wood spar, Spike relives the experience of siring his dying mother and remembers what she turned into as a result. What you've ever wanted was to be back inside. As Spike processes the trauma, he comes back to himself and counsels Wood on the dangers of mommy issues. She like you. I love my mother. So much so I turned her into a vampire. Buffy realizes that Giles is stalling her and rushes to save Spike. When she arrives, he's leaving as a battered Wood huddles on the floor. He even so much as looks at me funny again, I'll kill him. Buffy checks on Wood and tells him that if he goes after Spike again, Spike will kill him, and more importantly, She'll let him. 
she doesn't have time for personal vendettas. The mission is what matters. Back at home, Giles tries to talk to Buffy, but Buffy is done talking. I think you've taught me everything I need to know. One of the things I love about this episode is how personally powerful it is. There's a reason why daddy and mommy issues are so prevalent in storytelling. These people raise us for the most tender and vulnerable 18 years of our lives. Or in Spike's case, perhaps a bit longer than that. And if they were negligent or cruel, as many parents are, we spend the rest of our lives trying to undo that damage. We also get a fair amount of world building in this episode, digging deeper into what it means to be turned to a vampire and the eternal question of how much of the original personality remains once that transition is done. But while Wood and Spike are dealing with their mommy issues, the title of the episode is Lies My Parents Told Me. And we deal directly with the father-daughter relationship that Buffy has with Giles, who replaced her own absent father and has been in that role for the last seven years. In this episode, we have the story of three parental betrayals. One, with Nikki Wood choosing the mission over her son and paying with her life and his childhood. Another, with Spike's mother, Anne, who turns into something truly disturbing as a vampire. And Giles lying to Buffy as he colludes with Wood to murder Spike. All different kinds of betrayals, all of them stemming from love and a desire to protect those we love or avenge them. Everyone's position is at least understandable, even if we don't agree. It's powerful stuff. See, I've been searching for you for a very, very long time. Ever since you killed my mother. Killed a lot of people's mothers. Yeah. You'd remember mine. She was a slayer. Wood's desire to get vengeance on the vampire who killed his mother is an understandable thing, and I feel sympathy for him even while he's coming after Spike, who y'all know I love with my whole heart. This is part of what makes this such a compelling story, the fact that you can empathize with all the players. She was my world, and you weren't hers. Doesn't that piss you off? But when it comes down to it, Spike is right. Nikki made a choice. It wasn't an easy choice, and you can argue both ways whether it was the right choice. But she made a choice, and that choice was not her son. Wood has been carrying the pain of that loss around with him for years, and it doesn't seem that it ever occurred to him to be angry with his mother instead of Spike. But once Spike recovers from his trigger and is able to focus on Wood, he speaks some truth. Although, as is typical with Spike, he can only speak the truth with regard to other people's issues, while remaining in denial about his own. The part he says about Wood's mother is true. She was his world, but he wasn't hers. She chose the mission and her own death over her son. No one's saying it was an easy choice. No one's even saying it was necessarily the wrong one, because she sacrificed to protect everyone else's children. And that was a noble thing. It doesn't change the fact that she chose, however, and that choice left an indelible psychological mark on her son, one which he couldn't face until he faced her killer. And it's that killer who lays down some truth on Robin Wood while giving a wide denial-laden birth to his own mommy issues. My mother loved me with all her heart. That was her world. Throughout the run of Buffy, one question pops up continually and is never completely resolved. How much of a vampire is demon and how much is a remnant of the human being they once were? 
Lies my parents told me gives us two completely contradictory answers to that question, and once again, we're left not really knowing what the actual intended message is. William Pratt, as we see him pre-siring, is a romantic, a man whose love for Cecily and for his mother is the most powerful force in his life. His love defines him. It shapes him. He's not William without it. And when he's turned, love still defines him. This is carried over from his human form to his vampire form. And when he interacts with his mother, even after he's been turned, we can still see this humanity within him. We'll be together forever. William. It only hurts for a moment. Spike loves his mother. He wants to sire her and bring her along on his adventures with Drusilla, to which Drusilla has this perfect and hilarious reaction. The three of us will teach those snobs and elitists with their folder all just what... Three. You mean, Mother? As I said, we've had this discussion before, from Giles laying down the vampire law in The Harvest. You listen to me. Jesse is dead. You have to remember that when you see him, you're not looking at your friend. You're looking at the thing that killed him. To this, from the judge in season two, Surprise, referring specifically to Spike and Drusilla. You. Oh, oh, oh. What's that, right? You two stink. Of humanity, you share affection and jealousy. To a simple aside from Angel about Vampire Willow in season three's Doppelgangland. That's me as a vampire? I'm so evil and skanky. And I think I'm kind of gay. Willow, just remember a vampire's personality has nothing to do with the person it was. Well, actually, it's a good point. What we have here is textual evidence for both sides of the argument, which shows an evolving world-building as we move forward in the story. It is more interesting when vampires are more complicated than just pure evil running around in a human suit, when parts of who they were before are enmeshed in who they are now, and that both parts make the complete entity, whether human or vampire, whether ensouled or not. But here we have Spike. Spike who is himself the most compelling evidence for the argument that the human is always part of the vampire, making the simplified original statement about the ultimate nature of this brand of demon. You see, unlike you, I had a mother who loved me back. When I sired her, I set loose a demon, and it tore into me. But it was a demon talking, not her. Now, Spike, honey, whatever you need to tell yourself in order to keep the trigger from working, but... I prayed you'd find a woman to release me. But you scarcely showed an interest. Who could compare to your doddering, housebound mum? A captive audience for your witless prattle. I can pretty much guarantee you that bitch never loved you. You're stalling me. You're keeping me awake. It's time to stop playing the role of general and start being one. This is the way wars are won. Unlike Robin Wood and his mother, and Spike and his mother, the parental relationship between Buffy and Giles is something we've experienced in real time and are much more emotionally invested in. 
Giles has never betrayed Buffy, with the exception of the events of season three's Helpless when he fulfilled the Watcher's role of trying to get his Slayer killed before she wakes up and recognizes the fetid stench of the patriarchal bullshit she's been staked deep in since the beginning. For a primer in that, go watch the Still Pretty episode about Get It Done. Back to the now, though, we've seen Giles and Buffy have conflicts and disagreements, but he doesn't lie to her. He doesn't manipulate her. Moreover, he trusts her and follows her lead. He doesn't supersede his judgment for hers. The Giles in this episode, colluding with Robin Wood to kill Spike, is a Giles I don't entirely recognize. And while I like the conflict and consequence that we get from his actions, I do feel like if we're not experiencing a full character break in this episode, we're definitely seeing some serious bending. That said, there are things that are happening here because of Giles' betrayal that I quite like, mostly in what it shows us in Buffy's character. Because of the points Giles makes during the extended vampire fight, we see where Buffy stands on the subjects of leading and sacrifice. Giles, we had this conversation when I told you that I wouldn't sacrifice Dawn to stop Glory from destroying the world. Oh, yes, but things are different now, aren't they? After what you've been through, faced with the same choice now, You'd let her die. If I had to. To save the world. We see that Buffy has changed over time. She's hardened. She is more sure of herself now than she has ever been. She's died twice now to save the world. And my guess is that gives you a bit of confidence on how to handle an apocalypse. And while we cut back and forth between her interaction with Giles and Wood's attempt to kill Spike, we get even more light shed on this from Spike. I know Slayers. No matter how many people they've got around them, they fight alone. Life of the chosen one. The rest of us be damned. Giles is questioning Buffy's decisions because he knows she has feelings for Spike, but Buffy knows that she needs Spike for this fight. While Spike has absolutely survived quite a few offenses for which Buffy would have killed any other vampire without hesitation. Spike's got some sort of get-out-of-jail-free card that doesn't apply to the rest of us. I mean, he could slaughter a hundred frat boys and... Forgiveness makes us human. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. This time, I don't think it's Spike's get-out-of-jail-free card that saves him. Yes, Buffy obviously cares deeply for Spike, but I have no doubt that if it came to saving the world, she would sacrifice him. She sacrificed Angel, and her feelings for him were much less conflicted than they are for Spike. That was also a time in her life when she was much less sure of herself, but she did what needed to be done because that's what Buffy does. Here, it's clear, there is no need to sacrifice Spike, and there is a real need to keep him around for the fight. Buffy doesn't have to do battle with her personal feelings on this. At the moment, there is no conflict in these choices. Her confidence and security in herself is wonderful in this episode, and we see these qualities on clear display in two interactions. First, with Wood. If you try anything again, he'll kill you. <laughs> More importantly... I let him. And then later, with Giles. What I told you is still true. You need to learn. No. I think you've taught me everything I need to know. So, yeah, I think it's a character break for Giles. But what we get out of it, it's almost worth it. Almost. I gave him a pass. Let him live. On account of the fact I killed his mother. But that's all he gets. Before I close out this episode of Still Pretty, I wanted to take a quick moment and talk about the role of guilt in a redemptive arc. 
We addressed this early on in the series with Angel. He'd been a murderous monster rampaging through Europe for a hundred years and then battling with a soul and remorse for another century or so, with a couple of breaks here and there when he turns back into Angelus and, well, that's a whole nother topic. With Angel, his redemption was about brooding, carrying that guilt and remorse on his back every moment, head hung low, and the only palliative available to him is fighting for the common good, saving lives. He knows it doesn't matter how many people he saves, he will never wipe that slate clean. He will always be haunted by the knowledge of what he's done, and there will never be a day that the memories of his crimes won't be at the top of his thoughts. And it is from this that he strives for a redemption he will never fully be able to have. He knows this, and it doesn't matter. He's not out for reward. He's just here, and while he's here, he's going to protect people, however he can. Spike, on the other hand. I don't give a piss about your mom. She was a slayer. I was a vampire. That's the way the game is played. There is something about Spike's lack of guilt, about his total willingness to let the past be the past, that I find somewhat refreshing. It's not that I don't like or respect how Angel is grappling with his inner demons. I do. I like it so much that my new show, Still Dead, will be coming to a podcast app near you in the spring of 2018. But we've seen that path to redemption played out. And instead of setting up the second verse, same as the first, with Spike, we're getting a completely different take. And I like it. Because the truth is, you can't fix the past. It doesn't matter how bad you feel about what you've done. No amount of guilt and self-flagellation will ever make it right. Instead of carrying that weight around with him, Spike decides to let it go, to move on, to fight on the side of good from here on out. And I think it's a strong choice, not just because it's different from Angel's choice, but because it is a decision that is completely in line with who Spike is. And I love that. All right. That's it for today. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Brenda Scott Royce. Brenda supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. Brenda is also a fantastic writer. She writes women's fiction with an animal angle as she has worked for zoos for years and is deeply connected to animals. I had the pleasure of working with her on a few of her covers and I've read all of her books and they're really good y'all. She did not pay me to say this. I've been a fan of her work for years and can recommend it without reservation. Thank you, Brenda, and thank you, everyone, who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a still pretty producer. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 18, Dirty Girls. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.